Hi, I'm Jonathan Mann. And I'm Mike Condon. And this is Digitally Rare, a show about digitally owned things and what that means now and where you are, dear listener, which is in the future. Whoa. So I am beyond excited uh, today to have the two gentlemen from Larva Labs in uh, in your ear places, the places <laughs> where your ears are <laughs> today. Uh, John and Matt from Larva Labs, uh, big time welcome to you. Hey, thanks. Yeah, thanks for having us. One of the things we talk about so often on this podcast is about um, the necessity of of um, NFTs of various kinds, having some sort of story and authenticity behind them. One day I realized that like when we, for, I met you guys, I like bugged you to meet, meet me for lunch one day after I wrote the CryptoPunk song. CryptoPunks, two are the same. And you guys took me to lunch and you talked to, about specifically this, about like the importance of story of like creating a good story, like sort of behind the marketplace or whatever. It's something we think about um, for sure, um, because a lot of the you know uh, sort of too often right now the the answer to to why is blockchain, right? You know, like and, <laughs> right. and that's the end. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's the end of the conversation, which yeah. is not sufficient. You know, like it's uh, it's interesting. There's some like cool stuff that you can do as a result of that, but it can't it can't be all of it. You know, yeah, and it, and the way that it, what started off as this generative thing, you know, we were we were testing our generator, and so you you know you're just making batch after batch of these things to like test it and then throw them out and make them again. So you know, I I had seen all these different versions of say like the aliens right and I'm like eh, it's not quite right adjust this adjust that and then all of a sudden we ran that thing one last time and then those things started to become sort of yeah like these known fixed things like right. the, mm-hmm. one, one of the one of the more famous CryptoPunks is the vape ape it's right, like the, right. one, it's the one ape that's like <laughs> vaping and it, it just it does look really good like it just looks like it has so much attitude right yeah. and so you know but we you know I don't know like the vape ape you know like we, that didn't and when we launched it, we weren't like, oh, yeah, look at that vaping ape. You know, we just, but, <laughs> yeah. like, we didn't, we didn't really have, know. You like, have, yeah, you wouldn't have necessarily guessed that, that, that yeah. the vape ape was going to be a thing. It was like. Right. I mean, yeah. that's the beauty of generative art. And I think something that's really interesting about checking digital scarcity into the mix is it cuts down the set of, you know, art, art possible arts to, you know, something that isn't infinite. Um, and it gives that vaping ape some meaning. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and I mean, that was the thing that we didn't even, you know, that because that was the first of these things, first, you know, Ethereum, uh, you know, what now is called an NFT, uh, you know, we just had no idea if anyone would respond that way, you know, because obviously, you know, it would be possible to make more CryptoPunks if you wanted, you know, in terms of the actual images right um it's like does it matter that there's that we that we made this contract that just had ten thousand, right and 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 is that you know digitally rare uh roll credits and yeah (laughs) Yeah. that's it and the answer the answer is yes the answer is ta-da ta-da yeah (laughs) you know i was thinking today that you guys are like the velvet underground of um nfts on ethereum in the sense that you CryptoPunks is not, it was never, well, correct me if I'm wrong. It was never as big as CryptoKitties got either sort of outside the culture of Ethereum. Um, but 
the, the story about Velvet Underground is that everybody that heard the Velvet Underground, there's like a hundred people that bought their first album, but every single one of those people started a band. <laughs> yeah, and wow. I think in, in the same sense, like literally everybody <laughs> that was like became aware of you guys within the first couple of weeks, like was like, yeah, I'm just starting my own project. You know, it's like it's like we're all your children, as it were. <laughs> I would say. <laughs> all right. Yeah. I, I, I love Velvet Underground. So I'm, I'm I, I, I whole I you know, wholeheartedly accept your uh, excellent. Yeah, your, the, the your analogy, analogy, I think. Yeah, it holds. Yeah, I'll take it. Yeah. There's so much that I want to talk about. I want to I want to pick your guys' brain about tune a little bit. I want to talk about autoglyphs obviously. I'm mm-hmm. curious about like any other kind of things you're working on even like outside of the blockchain space. But let's I guess let's start with autoglyphs and I want to start from I'm you know, the thing is is most we have about 100 listeners and most of them I'm I'm almost positive know what they are, but I guess mm-hmm. just for like posterity's sake in case like this is being heard like a hundred years in the future right. and people have no idea. Well, hopefully, hopefully <laughs> they'll still the be around, life? right? They'll still, right. they'll still be, but, but, uh, uh, <laughs> what, what, what are autoglyphs this, uh, the second generative project that you guys have done? Just, you know, give the, give the outline of, of what it is, I guess. Totally. Yeah. Um, okay. So, so if you take CryptoPunks and, and pretty much all the other NFTs, the idea is that you make, um, some media of some sort images or, you know, in your case, Jonathan, music or, mm-hmm. you know, whatever it is, you make some art and then you register it usually via a hash. You know, there's a few other ways that you sort of associate it with a smart contract. And then you say these are now, you know, digitally rare. Like th- this is the ownership of that of that artwork. And so that's what the CryptoPunks is like, too, of course. And so we uh, so we, we tried to kind of say, like, can we make this whole thing kind of completely closely? Can we kind of go? put everything into the smart contract on Ethereum, including the actual generation of the art. So that's what Autoglyphs is, is that they're, they were actually generated within the smart contract. And so no, there's no external art that was put in or associated with the contract. It all right. came from, from within there. Which is just great. Totally. That's something, yeah, I think was super clever, was not even just the, you know, putting the instructions for the art on chain, but the instructions for the instructions for the art is this like very cool, uh, you know, generative loop of like, hey, given the seed, produce this piece of art. That's really neat. Yeah, and uh, yeah, there's something really kind of there's a purity sort of thing that really appeals to us about it, and that's why we mm-hmm. we did it. And um, it wasn't easy to to get it to work. Like uh, obviously, that you're really limited in what you can do in within a smart contract, and mm-hmm. you have to be really miserly over. Um, uh, you know how much CPU you use, basically, or you know how much processing you do. So we kind of actually had already taken a run at this project and given up about I don't know maybe not not a year ago, but maybe oh, nine wow. months ago, something like that. Oh. And uh, we just kind of couldn't get it to work. Like we had an idea for a generator that we thought was simple enough that we could fit it in there, and we just kind of couldn't make it work. But then just sort of came back to it um, maybe four or five months ago again. And then it started to click and come together, and uh, so they're like, "Oh, we can actually see this thing through now and, and get it to get it to work." So, is it too technical to ask, like, what was the thing that didn't work the last right. time, and then what was the breakthrough that you had this time? Well, yeah, without getting into super deep details, basically, you, you're only allowed to declare so many kind of local variables. You can only Bricks. do so much processing. So, you know, like an, um, an uh, a block, like an Ethereum block that gets you know mined 
is only, I think it has 8 million. Is that right, Matt? 8 million yeah, gas? 8 million. Yep. Yeah. And um, so ours uses, and it was actually a little less at the time we were first working on this, um, but ours, like just to make one of these things, uses 3.5 million gas. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. you're already, you know, more than twice, if you go more than twice as much processing, you're done. You know, you, you wouldn't be able to do it at all. But there's other limitations, how many variables you can declare and everything. So it was basically just this like ultra optimization that had to happen. Just right. like and a little and bit of code it, golfing. Yeah, and yeah, so it was it was optimizing the existing algorithm as well as kind of changing changing the because the algorithm of course is fairly arbitrary, but we and it was really an aesthetic choice of like what was it making. And so we right. found a few shortcuts there too, where it's like, oh, we can get just as good results. I, I had a thing for a while that was trying to emulate like like trying to do really cheap versions of like trigonometry functions. Oh, wow. And, uh, but then it was like, no, you just can't do that. We got to find mm -hmm. another way. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. so that kind of stuff um, oh, wow. was, was what we had to work on to get it, right. to, to get it to fit. Yeah. And a lot of this comes, it sort of goes back to when we were first trying to figure out um, what to do with the crypto bonds. Like, you know, when we were kind of new to the Ethereum blockchain in general and smart contracts and all that stuff. And, and also just the concept, we thought it was important or maybe even critical that the art had to be in the contract. Like we mm -hmm. had to embed mm -hmm. this image. We And again, like we weren't quite sure, right? Like some of this right. is a psychological question. It's not right. just a technical right. question. It's a big like, question. Yes. Yeah. Like what makes someone feel like they own something? What makes someone feel like this thing on the blockchain is related to the art? So we were trying all sorts of weird stuff to like embed these images, um, to embed the CryptoPunks into the contract. And eventually it was just like totally impractical. Right. And we thought we settled on this sort of hash um, representation. And then, and that seems fine. Like, and that's a, that's a reasonable trade-off. It, it works right. for a lot of things. But then after that, as people sort of discovered it, we kept getting the question like, so is the art on the blockchain, you know, like, and, right. and we were like, well, yeah, yeah, sort of like, right. and uh, so as part of all that, we were like, well, what if, you know, is it possible? Like, could the art literally be in there? No, in it's the contract? So, it, um, mm -hmm. so that's how we got uh, ended up back here. Matt, yeah. can you like break down what Joe Looney's argument is of right. the art versus the token? And then I don't know if you guys have heard this argument, but I'd love, but because mm -hmm. I don't think that I could I, I could say it quite right, but can you say that argument and then and I'd love to get your guys' take. Yeah, I hope I do justice to uh, Joe's, Joe's perspective here. But um, in general, obviously, the technical limitation is that it's really hard to put a picture on a blockchain. And also even further, it's impossible to make bits scarce. You can always copy and paste a picture. And so there's this sort of fundamental disagreement between like, hey, this digital image is owned by you. And the technology that directly says like, well, no, anyone can copy and paste the image that what you see, um, what's actually scarce is this, uh, you know, this asset, this representation, this line in a decentralized database that says you are the owner. And so Joe then says, well, the only thing that actually philosophically you can own is the token, uh, this line in the database. Therefore, that is what is of value. The image is just a representation of this thing. And you shouldn't feel attached to the image. You should feel attached to the token. And I think this makes a lot of sense, especially when you consider like provenance and um, pretty much every part, every other part of ownership, except like the sort of human, I like to look at things and I like to, uh, you know, this is a piece of art, which is designed to be consumed by eyes sort of thing. Um, and what that ties into autoglyphs really well, because y'all sort of sidestepped that problem and said, hey, 
the art is actually on the blockchain. And right. so the token is the art. And even then it's the instructions for the art. And so the, the visual image on like autoglyph uh, dot or like library lab slash autoglyphs isn't actually the art. It's just a representation. And Jonathan obviously gets this very well because he turned his autoglyph into music right. by using the pattern to generate chord. Yeah, that was super cool that you did that, by the way, and, and totally in the spirit of, of what we're going after there. And, 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 and what you guys are talking about in general here of like, what, you know, what is, what is, you know, what is the ownership or what, what do you own? What is the art? Like all these sorts of questions. And these questions, by the way, are, are like, you know, they're not new just because of uh, blockchain. blockchain art. Yeah. Like, you know, th th these questions uh, are in contemporary art as, you know, overall and right. even traditional art. And, and certainly, you know, I mean, we can all have, uh, you know, Van Gogh's Starry Night on our wall right, right. now, you know, mm -hmm. and, and yeah. It, yeah, it won't be the original, but we wouldn't be able to tell. You can, you can, there's even places that do like perfect 3D right. representations of those things. So, so, you know, if you, if what you really want is to be able to look at Starry Night whenever you want to, you can achieve that right, right. now. And right. so I feel like already we're in the token era, you know, when it yeah. comes to art, like For why sure. is the one in the MoMA, you know, like the one that matters and, and is priceless, you know, exactly. it's not really because, because it's, you know, because it like, better of, to look know, at, or, yeah, because it's better yeah. to look at, or it looks, you know, it's, it's really because we know that it was made, you know, by it's the original, it was made by Van Gogh. And so. And then you, if you get into more modern art, like say you get into some of the Jeff Koon stuff, like the uh, balloon animals, right? Right. Mm. I mean, he specked that out and then had it fabricated. Right. So you can, and you can actually right. go on, um, you can go to like Alibaba and you can just order those things right, for like, right. for like a hundred bucks. Right. <laughs> they do a good job, right? right? So once again, if you want it and then now, now you can, you can kind of do away with those questions of like, oh, but the way Van Gogh's brush strokes or whatever, you know, it's like, right. no, it's the same, you know? Exactly. Like, yeah. But it's still not valuable. It's still just worth the materials and the labor. And so mm -hmm. it's like, so, you know, what is it? You know, like, it's that idea of owning it, you yeah, know. Right. And so and it, it really, like, this this just formalizes that and makes, you know, in a way that I think that the art world, you know, will eventually really, really embrace. Yeah. Because mm -hmm. once you embrace this um, this formalized uh, formalized version of it, using blockchain, then you have, you know, the providence and you have right. the ease of tra of transfer, you know, the fact that it just costs a few cents to transfer theoretically millions of dollars worth of value, as yeah. opposed to what, what, what massive process happens when valuable art right now is, uh, is, um, hmm. is transferred at, right. you know, whether it's an auction, usually more than 50% of the purchase price is eaten up by everything else. So, wow. yeah. so there's a lot uh, to recommend this stuff. And, and yeah, it's not as, you know, sort of crazily abstract beyond what it currently is now anyway. You know, it's not, it's not actually as big a leap, I think, as people think. Totally. Well, and you yeah. guys have been, you guys have been doing these like art panels and speaking at like the high society art places now for like um, two years, going on two years. What's, what would you say is the state of of their sort of acceptance of this kind of stuff like right, like and 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 what is the trajectory has has it changed i guess over the last 2 years that you guys have been experiencing that that part of the world i think that uh from what we've seen at least and uh 
is that there's there especially in the digital um yeah digital art area there's some poking around there because it feels like and this is these are generally outsider perspectives like we're coming to this world as like you know technologists and but and seeing sort of what hearing what people are telling us but it seems like the digital art market hasn't really lived up to expectations it's mm -hmm. not as large as it could be mm -hmm. um and that's probably already not because the um people who would potentially buy it aren't comfortable with the medium like there's a lot like huge amounts of money uh, spent on digital items already. Um, so you could imagine that happening with art as well. It's just sort mm -hmm. of almost like a mechanical problem. Like there's this transference of value is like, it's just too awkward right now. Mm. Like the user experience isn't there. Well, even just the, the system right now is like a, is a sort of a, a literal translation of the gallery model where you, right. where you just are assigned a certificate. And it's like, mm. it, there's a real analogy to the blockchain here, which was kind of totally surprising to us when we, when we heard about it. But so if you bought like a, a you know, a digital image from me or from the gallery, for example, mm -hmm. they would issue you a certificate and that's what you own. Like really, right. like you have the certificate <laughs> right. and, in order for me to, and then if you wanted to sell it to somebody else, they basically have to get in touch with the gallery and be like, this thing legit. Like, right. is this, this one of yours. Right. And mm -hmm. so, mm -hmm. so you can imagine there, like the blockchain is just pretty much better than that right. in every way. Right. And, Honestly, there's not that many times you can say that sentence. Exactly. <laughs> right. Exactly. That's like, so true. Yeah. Objectively better. Yeah. Yeah. So you're already doing a kind of a bad blockchain there right. thing already. So it's like, let's just have that be where. That's what you're talking about. Sort of formalized, like just, just make it. Yeah. Yeah. So it makes a ton of sense. Um, there are some other problems with digital art in terms of like, uh, as an asset, it seems like in terms of just appreciation, like what's on your wall. Um, like, do I get to right. enjoy the ownership of it in the right. way that I would, uh, like a large or a, something physical that I, that I can have on my wall. And, yep. and that's something I'm hung up on a lot as well is especially that sort of, um, that physical to digital transition is, I don't know. I like, I like holding things. I like seeing things and yeah. Yeah. How do you replicate that metaphor, perhaps, uh, in a digital world? Well, and I think part of it is you don't you don't come straight at it. Like uh, right. I think Jason Bailey said this. He says he says people are, are looking at their phones, yeah. not their walls. Right. You know? mm -hmm. So don't try to put it on your wall. Put it on your phone. Right. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. we always think like kind of the the best place for a lot of these digital digitally rare assets would be kind of an Instagram like experience. Mm -hmm. You know, where rather than seeing people's vacation photos, you're seeing their art, you know, and you're, and it, you're trading it and, and, um, getting notified when there's new stuff or someone, mm -hmm. you know, has new things, you know, just sort of that. Do we have that today? I, that doesn't really exist yet. No, it's not kinda, yet. I mean, not even just for digital art. There was the nifty gallery, right? I mean, specifically for traditional art. Mm -hmm. Like, do we see people wanting oh, that yeah. sort of experience oh, yeah. with just normal art? Um, even, you know, non-scarce digital art is that, like direct, you know, a social network for artists. Is that like a thing? Um, that people well, I don't know. And I don't know if it would even be yeah. Yeah, exactly that. And that's the thing. That's the question. Right. But it, course, I guess yeah. just in, and yeah, certainly, you know, we're not saying like, yeah, someone should build that and it'll definitely succeed. But it feels <laughs> like something like that, that it's almost like you just have to go digitally native, like to try yeah, to pull course. it out and say, no, this belongs on a wall now. Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. It just seems too... You know, to to trying to emulate the past, which you know, uh, which it seems like almost every new medium 
in the early days of it that right. they, they try no stone bridges out of iron anymore yeah yeah like how early movies look like plays right exactly yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. and i think um probably the the value of this stuff is going to come from there being a place where we have a shared experience of it you know so you know mm-hmm. go to a gallery or go to, to go to someone's home and you see the painting on the wall so we right. need the digital equivalent of that a place where we both right. know that i have it right. um so like in Fortnite, that's Fortnite, you know, like right, I got the, right. I got the outfit because here we're all in Fortnite right now. So we need that. Obviously it's not going to be quite either of those two things, but, um, mm-hmm. but something else like yeah, where I think that's really important is that sort of like second order effect of you're here playing the Fortnite game, but you happen to be wearing this excellent outfit and that's showing off yeah, sort of thing. Same thing like a, a house or a gallery where it's a, you know, it's sort of an experience in its own right. And I guess a gallery is slightly different. You're going there for the art, but like a house is a sort of second order effect. Yeah. Um, and we, it's sort of fragmented right now. It's like, it does, there's no one spot you go to see. Like I, I don't, wouldn't know where to go to see what stuff you guys own, right, for example. Right. So when we launched the autoglyphs, it was, you know, a lot of people were holding them in their wallet that would be attached to OpenSea. So that's like a, one of these kinds of places you could do that. Mm-hmm. But, but it's it not really have, made for that. Not really right. made for that, no. I use Etherscan as a social network. <laughs> it's really, it's hot right now for that. Yeah, really hot. Yeah. But that's something that's interesting about galleries and that experience is that galleries create a sort of magic space, like, obviously it's kind of intuitive that there's this magic space inside of a museum or a gallery, but you can really feel that when you like, you know, step through the door and suddenly it's quiet or the lighting is soft or like whatever it is. And they create this space that is distinct from something else. And it kind of keeps you there and gives you a state of mind. And I don't feel like I can get that experience through a computer screen or maybe I can. Yeah, you're right that that is super important. And, you know, they say in the art world, like context is everything, you know, mm. and so so you, and you're right. And, the, and just the idea, like it's definitely a very, you know, it's the idea of like, especially for, you know, just a visual artist making static images where it's like, yeah, just, you know, yeah, put it in OpenSea or something. And it's just now it's just like it just looks like every other, right. you know, JPEG <laughs> on, the, on the Internet. It's like that's not going to. Right. get there you know that's so not context yeah yeah so somehow that context has to be built around it and mm-hmm. uh, um but you know and, and i think once again it, it does it's, it won't it won't come from on a, on high down you know it's going to have right. to come from sort of organically from below mm-hmm. where, where so even matt and i were just talking just before this about you know just the like the continuing phenomena of um kind of collectible shoes and mm-hmm. other other sort of yeah. streetwear stuff like supreme and that kind of stuff and and it's Love like, it. could that community start to rally around? Like, it's like they're already, you know, getting these things. And obviously, yeah, they, you know, they get to wear them and show them off that way. But it's like, could they cross over into digital, you know, mm-hmm, into cryptographic mm-hmm. things where it's like, well, these totally. things are kind of permanent and they're on your phone. You can trade them with each other and everything, you know, that they, yeah. it, it, it might be that there's a, you know, there's a generation coming up where this will feel much more natural for them. Oh, I totally agree with that. Yeah. My friend has this pet theory that, um, for example, Nike or Supreme, the um the true value is their brand of course mm-hmm. um and the the sort of products that they make are a, honestly a limitation of that brand and you have to supply chain and design things and like goodness nobody wants to do that and so 30 years 40 years whatever once we have the ability to like i don't know have a replicator in our homes that produces shoes out the wazoo oh, yeah 
the the real value of Nike will be the digital like licensing the file that says, hey, uh, my replicator puts a swoosh on this shoe that I made, and the yeah the brand is then one hundred percent of their value. Everything we're describing here are is the kind of behaviors that are all around the margin margins of this happening. Like it, mm. any one of these types of behaviors could translate, like buying skins in Fortnite, mm-hmm. buying shoes and posting them, posting photos of them to Instagram. Like mm. all these things seem very related to what would then be, you know, a, a some sort of app where you're in there and then there's a drop you know like tuesday here yeah. come, and it's auto yeezys and yeah. i just got one you yeah. know and it's like everything seems like that would translate pretty well like that kind of mm-hmm. behavior mm-hmm. what do you think uh so for example gaming as an industry like it's like 80 billion dollars or something is spent on um you know just digital items that you use in games and some of it's consumables some of it's like just to look cool what um, do you think that there's an argument for those things becoming truly digitally scarce? Like, what is the benefit to people? That sort of thing. How do you view that space? I mean, obviously, with art, there's that sort of, uh, especially if you're working with like the certificate, it's like naturally, like, yeah, that's blockchain is just better um, for like doing things that people are already doing. Um, but with gaming, obviously, the world works, and so I'm interested if you have like a philosophical or otherwise sort of perspective on that. It's one of these things that it feels right when you first hear right. about it, and and it's got a good feel to it. You know, like yeah, I I own my items, I do what I want with my items, and so on. Um, and it sort of breaks down a bit in the details, like because these games are centralized. You know, they're they have to be centralized at least for right. the foreseeable future. So. So if I own a bunch of Fortnite skins and Fortnite shuts down, like, do I really own them? Like, if I don't have the shared experience for them right. anymore, right. Um, there's something there, like, it, you know, because I can go and trade them on, you know, potentially marketplaces not owned by any one of these um, game companies. That seems kind of interesting, but there's there's a trade off there with the complexity, right? Like, does is is there a net benefit to all this? Um, mm-hmm. People getting mm-hmm. wallets going and all that stuff, or is it just like? who cares i'm just gonna buy it in the game and use it in the game and the end i'm not sure like it's uh, it's a tough call um yeah and the idea of these things moving between games it seems pretty far-fetched you know that you have to how would some other game support some concept or item from from completely different game or anything you know so i feel like that's pretty pretty far out there uh so yeah it's really just a matter of like yeah could uh, you, you can certainly, it's one of the things you can imagine the destination, but it's, it's hard to imagine the path that gets you there. So if you certainly. had this great big market and it's like, oh yeah, anything you get in the game, you can now just buy and sell in these markets. That's pretty cool, you know, but it's like, and, and obviously there's been sort of weird versions of that that have cropped up over time and like people were selling gold or whatever from World of Warcraft and that kind right. of thing. So, it, you know, there's been sort of... Uh, some evidence that this that sort of thing could happen, but then it's, mm-hmm. yeah, it's just like is it is it a strong enough pull and for it to actually happen and and right. yeah, what what that sophistication leap that be required to get into doing that? It, I mean, yeah, it has a chance though, you know, like totally. yeah, this could all this whole conversation could change if somebody comes up with a hit game that's on a on a blockchain and comes with you know to, things that you own in that manner, and that's then, it, and then users start to expect that they're like, how come I don't own my exactly. Fortnite dances in this way, and I I have this whole other thing I do now where I trade them between my friends, and you know, well, why are, why can't I do that here? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. um, you know, I think it, it, that the conversation could change in that case, but right now it seems like 
there's not a lot of advantage for the companies that run the big games to switch to that. Um, Certainly. It sort of seems worse for them in some ways. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, it would have to be maybe, you know, some sort of hit thing or something like mm-hmm. that might be one of the paths. But I'm sorry. Do you guys know the game Steam Monsters? No. no. That's worth look, taking a look at. We talked to the guy who uh, okay. created that, and it seems to have, it uses the Steam you know, blockchain, which is kind of unusual for something like that, huh. but mm. um, but it seems to work, and the game seems to be kind of cool. Like, it, it, there's a bunch of stuff working there, and it's got quite a lively marketplace. Huh. So yeah, that's, that's, that's worth looking at. It's a good example. How does that apply to art and art, art as well? Then, um, how do you think about the addition of blockchain into art, making digitally scarce art? What do you think are the primary like drivers, and what do you think would bring like mainstream adoption, that sort of thing? Like, what are those 10x experiences? Yeah, I think it's kind of what Matt was saying that for you know digital art, no one no one denies that it's super important. Like there's you know there's whole museums dedicated to it. Mm. There's there you know so but really as a dig, if you're a pure digital artist, there's just kind of no marketplace for you. You know, so I think that that's that's a strong need. You know, and and I think even for collectors, they're interested in it, but they just can't. They just can't right now. The idea, like as Matt was giving the examples of the, that, there's going to end up with some certificate. Right, you know? right. It's just just not good enough. So I think that the Tenex experience is just that it it can bring digital art into the mainstream contemporary art market, which is huge and booming. You know, so I mean mm-hmm. that that. So if if there's if there's an on ramp for for digital artists, they're gonna they're gonna dive into it, and so. That's why you know you were asking you know what's been our experience talking to kind of the fine art people yeah. and there's there's definitely you know there, there of course there's trepidation because they're used to you know they're big companies big business and things are going mm-hmm. well for them anyway but they're also they're they're definitely really interested they're taking it seriously right. because they know that there's this big need and this big gap so mm. so you know I, I think it's sort of yeah like as Matt was saying it's kind of an obvious solution for this but you know, it does still require this, this, this leap, this leap of understanding and totally. And, and yeah, and just a sort of a, 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 a enough belief in blockchain too, that it's like, mm. yep, and this, this will last a very long time, ideally forever, you know? Right. Um, right. That is a sort of fundamental thing you must believe mm-hmm. uh, for Yeah, totally. Do you think that leap will come from people who are already part of the art market and like don't own digital art? Or do you think it'll come from a new set of collectors who are, you know, they intuitively get digitally scarce art. I think the collectors, because once you do make that leap and you get on the other side of it, mm-hmm. there's a lot of catnip there. You know, just just mm-hmm. the the because right, you know, there's wealthy people who who just think of art as as uh, you know another asset, you know, that they diversify yeah. into, and they and they still like their art. You know, it's not like they don't care about art, but but that's definitely a big factor, uh, you know, a main factor in why is the is the art. yeah the they they want to return. Yeah, exactly, and and it's and it's it's had good returns over the years. However, there's huge impedance there too. Like we were saying, that if you actually go to sell one of these things, if you're selling a you know an expensive painting or sculpture, it'll often you know, you'll lose fifty percent in transactions, so uh, fees mm. and and other and other uh, expenses, transporting the art, investigating it for provenance, all the stuff you have to do. So that for people who are asset focused, but also into art, the idea that you can just sort of buy and sell this stuff with almost no impedance, that it'll just be 
just some fixed tiny cost to transact mm-hmm, these things. Mm-hmm. Once they get onto that sort of downhill slope of this, it seems like it should kind of run away and it, become a big, yeah. a big uh, right. uh, asset class within contemporary art. Do you think that the ease of that transfer is actually kind of suspicious? It might be upfront, you know, it might, it might make it seem kind of cheap or easy, right. you know, but, right. and then that's why mm. it, you know, it, it has to kind of all come together. It's not like gallerists and everything will be removed from this because you kind of still need someone to say, this is good. Right. This is worth right. Right. You need, you need those tastemakers. Right. Curation is hard problem. Yeah. So you still need all of that to kind of give the whole thing, uh, you know, it's sort of, um, yeah, to kind of get over that sort of ease and cheapness and like anyone can do this, anyone can buy, anyone can sell. Mm. But I think, you know, yeah, just the pure market dynamics and solving a problem that digital art didn't have a solution for before, I think it all points in the right direction. Totally. I'm curious um, about, you know, so there was sort of, sort of now famously in our little small corner of the galaxy, uh, there was like the problems that you guys had releasing CryptoPunks, um, you know, the contract and then the problem in the contract and having to redo it and everything. Uh, I'm curious what the experience was like now, two years later with all the, you know, how familiar you are now with Ethereum versus then what, um, what it was like to, to release a second project of this kind. Yeah, that's a good question. And, Obviously, yeah, I feel like we have like a permanent paranoia yeah, now. Right, right. <laughs> uh, Existential blockchain dread. Right. Yeah, that we're like, so, we and we've basically, because we've done other projects too in the interim, right. we've built up a, some pretty serious testing tools, uh-huh. even some of our own kind of custom ones uh-huh. that, that just sort of allow us to work the way we, we work on other kinds of software, but now with blockchain, so... Yeah, but I wasn't that. I don't know how you felt, Matt, but I, um, Matt Hall, that is. I wasn't that stressed by by it. But that's only because I think we had we had just gone. We you know right from the beginning we were just doing huge testing and right. huge automated testing. Like we we did a lot of testing for it, mm-hmm. and wow. uh, and we had already used it extensively um, on testnet and in other environments and everything. So yeah, but always you know. Yeah, we're we're permanently scarred. Yeah, yeah. Just just to quickly fill in, yeah, we the CryptoPunks contract had a this horrifying bug where if you bought something, the person who bought it got the CryptoPunk and was also refund. They they got the money back. Like the money was like assigned to them so instead of the instead of the uh, instead of the seller. And and that was uh, you know it was just one of these very simple subtle bugs in the in the solidity code and. And then in, in our, we had written testing for it, but there was sort of a matching bug in the testing where we didn't realize mm. that we were checking to see if, you know, we were checking that the wrong person had received the money, which was just sort of crazy. What a crazy coincidence, <laughs> but, but it we happened. So only one step away from just deleting that money. <laughs> oh, yeah. Which yeah, is... it could have been very easily. I mean, it was a, almost a fluke that the money was being refunded. It could have easily just been going to zero X zero. You know? Oh, so, my God. And that would have been way worse because at least this, it was like, all right, everyone's, you know, fine. And now we'll, and now with a new contract, we'll just reset things and just and just reverse all the sales, you know. So right. everybody accepted that. And, we, and it was early enough in the process right. that we just went forward. And I think I remember um, you saying one time, like, if it had been two weeks later or something, like a month later – because it had the way it took off, it would have been impossible to. Was that right? Yeah, we, we were worried that there was going to be these, you know, these adherence to what, what we were 
calling CryptoPunks classic, right. you know, because right. right. of course <laughs> right. you can't, you, you, you can't get rid of the old one, <laughs> you, you know, like, and it's yeah. still there. It's still there right still now. There. Yeah. yeah. Wow. And I want to go own some OG CryptoPunks. Don't even do it. We shouldn't even be talking about this like right now. <laughs> you just opened another level of like rarity yeah. and exclusivity yeah. and now I want to be a part <laughs> of it. Why did it, why, why did we talk, say that? Why did we, why did we agree to this? Now, I don't know if this is true or not, but I feel like that experience that you guys had did that lead to, did that lead, do you know if that led directly to things like CryptoKitties having the pause function that they do, this kind of thing where they can go in and fix stuff like that, but also kind of ruins, you know, ru- ruins, <laughs> oh, yeah. ruins some of the rarity aspect of it? Um, it. I don't know if it was directly because of that, but there's that, I, it is crazy to me that, and it's not, and it's one thing for CryptoKitties, but then you just see straight up ERC twenty tokens is ownable, is possible, right? Right in the contracts, like they're implementing those interfaces, and it's just like, what is this? You know yeah. what I mean? If you guys just want to run a database that says right. how much money everyone has, like we we could we could have done that, you know, four <laughs> yeah. years forty years ago. Like, if it's not decentralized, then what is it? You know, like, totally. I, I've never understood that. Yeah, yeah, you can. I don't. Yeah, I don't know either. Again, if it's directly uh, related, because the whole like sort of blockchain developer community is just like. Kind of tearing itself apart, uh-huh. dealing with these problems where they go like, <laughs> yep. you start off with these hard statements about like, you know, code is immutable. This is the whole point. Yeah. You put the code up. Trustless systems. Yeah. A trustless system. Yeah. And it's done. And so we took that to heart. Like, and that's why that contract was not easy to fix. Right. But then now that we're two years in on the replacement, right. you know, that's that's a pretty cool thing to say that it's Absolutely. there's nothing we can do to affect that. Right. Thing. But then. We, we as an industry, don't really know how to write bug-free software. Like, we don't know how to do it. doesn't it. exist, yeah. Yeah, so past a certain complexity point, um, there's, just, uh, there's just a good chance of problems. So then people are like, all right, hold on a minute. Let's get a pause button at least, right? Right. And then either is even now there's a whole camp that's into these upgradable contracts, which is basically like, you know, you're changing the, you're changing the operation of the code. So w- what's immutable about this? Right. And then, well, hold on a minute. We'll put some governance around that. You know, right. like not anybody can update the contract. You got to vote or something. It's like, okay, but like we yeah. are not. We are a ways away from where we were at the start yeah, of this. You we know? started at blockchain, and we got to we arrived at Wikipedia or something. Right, you know? and, <laughs> right, right. Wikipedia right. right. is great, but it's it's not that. So yeah, it's different. And I think right. once again, fine art kind of weirdly is ideal for this, where it's like, okay, the contracts aren't that complicated. Like Autoglyph was pretty complicated, but really, mm-hmm. the actual scary stuff that we would be worried about having bugs in what was really standard ERC seven twenty one stuff. So we were able to use a lot of existing right. tested well, code now it's for like that. Stand, now it's more standardized, right? It's so, more standard, yeah. yeah. So so it wasn't as that's another reason why it wasn't as scary. But then also, it just doesn't need that many features, right? Like, it, mm-hmm. like this thing is just supposed to, yeah, just like Matsu with the CryptoPunks. Like, we like that it's just kind of done. Right. Everything in there works, and it's not it's not supposed to ever change, you know? But if you're trying to build a living, breathing product that people use, yeah. and the way they use it yeah. changes or anything, right. then it's like how right. I, I can empathize with why you want up, upgradable and everything, yeah. Totally. Yeah. And, and yeah. that might just be part of it, too, is, you know, like, blockchain startups it's like okay but that might not be what blockchain's good for right you can build businesses that use it but building a business like you know right in it is this might not might just not be the way to the way to do it yeah it is still like back to the original question is it's still extremely hard like this was a a fairly focused project on uh you know implementing a standard that's been around for a little while now and it was still like it was a lot of work yeah you know? yeah um yeah. and i also 
kind of forgot that there was going to be this like scary blockchain part of it when we finally <laughs> released it. Like I had sort of separated that in my mind and then huh. suddenly it was live and then everybody was buying glyphs. Like, <laughs> and I was like, Oh my God, like this thing is something, <laughs> something could go wrong. Yeah, yeah. Like this thing is on the blockchain right now. Like, yeah. I, right. so yeah, there's, there's like, there's something very cool about all this stuff. There's something like, you know, truly new about it, but there's also a lot of like, hand waving around it and saying like, ah, it's not that hard. You just kind of deal with this stuff. It's like, it's pretty hard, man. Mm, like, and we should, yeah. we should like acknowledge, acknowledge that so it, that we yeah. can improve it, you know, right. like, so that we can work on tools that are appropriate for the task at hand and not try to treat totally. it like just anything else, you know, as a developer and a user, like every time I go and touch Ethereum, I'm terrified. Yeah, they're not absolutely honestly, absolutely they're not, they're not really helping there you know like they're like every time we go back there for example the language is different it's like yeah. hey cool news guys is solidity <laughs> five is out like no i don't want like i would be fine if it never changed like i, I gotta try to figure this thing out you know like yeah uh, yeah right it's a full-time job keeping up with the changes um yeah. yeah totally and like i spent what 10 minutes trying to make sure that I was sending someone an NFT the other day and like actually doing that correctly. And I was like, what interface do I use for this? Mm -hmm. I can't use MetaMask. I want to use like my crypto, but like I have to go get the ABI cause it's not a standard contract yet. And like copy and paste that ABI in and find like the function selector and make sure these arguments are being encoded correctly. And it's like, no, like, <laughs> yeah. the world won't work like that. No, no. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and we yeah, we've written a lot of custom tools to interact with our contracts just for that reason because we just don't we just know that every time you kind of do that, there's just a chance of sort of a bad error happening. So, so we try to automate as much as possible and have all these checks and everything. But yeah, it's all very mm -hmm. bespoke mm -hmm. kind of you know. It's like all right, we'll we'll write the thing we need here, but what's the what's the general solution? If you guys stuff? have that stuff, have you thought about like I don't know open sourcing it or, or showing it to people or, or is it not really appropriate because it's so specific to the to the task to the specific project at hand so far it's been quite specific but we have talk, talked about that potential of uh, you know we're java developers and that's mm -hmm. not really common to be you know not, not right. a lot of like not, not nothing in ethereum ever is written for java but java's got very type safe sort of old-fashioned strict, strict language and so mm -hmm. we like to we sort of turned everything into still doing it in java mm. That's been the kind of the big change since CryptoPunks, is, and it's sort of in our comfort zone. We can use all our tests. That's so interesting. And like all, all the kind of infrastructure stuff that right. Java provides, because it's already being used, you know, by banks, you know, write, write software in Java and everything, you know. So, so we sort of we kind of lean on all that kind of old school infrastructure, right. To right. do our testing and do our automation. And, it's a very um, fitting sort of irony to use Java to, you know, build like the cutting edge, <laughs> digital <laughs> scarce art. Yeah, and yet uh, we, I mean, we've always loved, that, that could be a whole nother topic, but we, we love Java because uh, we know it so well and we have so much stuff we can lean on that we've written before and it's very easy, mm -hmm. to, mm -hmm. very easy to use. Like, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, yeah. And I think it's a super unfortunate uh, coincidence that JavaScript is the most popular language at the time when we are right. doing stuff that is so totally unsuited to JavaScript. I know, right? <laughs> Isn't it hilarious? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. And, like, you're doing stuff that, you know, is permanent, potentially, and you're like, yeah, in JavaScript, it's like, number, string, like, cool, man, whatever. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. whatever you want to do, man, let's do it. Yeah. Like, no, I need you to tell me this, this is not correct or whatever. Totally. Yeah, I think. I do think it's absolutely hilarious that we're building the future financial system on JavaScript libraries and JavaScript web apps and all of this. And it's like, wow, like if we came at this from like any sort of like higher level of like, you know, just take a, take a look at it and be like, 
should we really be writing the server in Node.js? Should this actually right. be written in? Yeah, totally. It's it's really questionable. Um, yeah. I'm curious if um if there are any sort of sort of NFT kind of projects that you guys are like sure you're not going to make, but that have that have sort of crossed your guys' mind. I assume mm. you can't tell us about like any areas of interest, any any other projects that that you'll be working on. Um, or maybe you can, but. Right. But but I'm curious if there are things that you've thought about that you're that you're sure you're not going to do. Uh, yeah, areas of NFT interest, I guess. Is a, yeah, that's a good way to put it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Matt, is there anything you can think of there that we've talked about over um, the uh, over the over the last couple of years? And if there's an if the answer to that is no, I have the next question that I want to ask you too. So <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to think like. Uh, what was that kind of pyramid scheme-esque one we were talking about? <laughs> 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 Multi-level marketing on the yeah, blockchain. We were like describing, like talking through the idea, and it was like, yeah, this is cool. And then like, yeah, and then like, and then at the end of it, we're like, oh, wait, it's that's a pyramid, pyramid scheme. scheme. <laughs> but, but it was a bit, if I recall, it was a bit of an, there was an inverted pyramid scheme one kind of where it wasn't really bad. Like it was sort of the people at the yeah. end ended up with. How did that one go again? Oh, I think it was one we had, and these were ones we've discarded, so we're happy to talk about yeah. them. But yeah, we had one idea where it was rather than you know individual art that people were buying, it, it, the art somehow was growing as it was being oh, yeah. sort of bought uh, bought and sold, you know, and and so that was kind of automatic. So the first person buys it for a dollar, and ah. maybe it's just a single a single pixel, and then it's automatically listed for sale for two dollars. And then someone buys that, and then the art grows a little bit, you know. Right. And then that eventually happens until it hits quite an enormously high price tag. And and then and then when the person buys the last one, they end up with it. They own the the hmm. single NFT. That's the output. But everyone along the way got paid, you know, right. to support it. So it's right. sort of like another one of these things where it's sort of like it's like oh you you um, you benefit. Uh, from being an early supporter, totally. Of this. And then, that's and the then thing it, that's really compelling is that sort of uh, translation of social capital of being an early supporter into financial capital. Yeah, is that something right. you'll think about? Yeah, exactly. And then that that was what was sort of was was um, compelling about this idea because you can imagine in the early early goings, of course, people will just definitely participate because there's a very low risk and very high chance of return. But then it would hit that sort of weird middle ground where it's like, this is right. pretty expensive now, mm -hmm. but there's probably another buyer coming in mm -hmm. behind me, you know? Mm -hmm. and, and meanwhile, but yeah, meanwhile, the art is being supported through that sort of difficult middle period. And then if it gets mm -hmm. to become quite expensive, then it's a success. And you Right, know, then and, it gets and press then, and people then it might know be about self-propelling self right. at that point. Right, right. So well, it's a cool concept, think, and we just sort of realized it wasn't quite for us. It's not really not. Is, it, we thought like that'd be good for like a, maybe a famous artist. Is that similar that to mm -hmm. Simon de la Rue, I don't know how to say his last name. De la, de la Rouvier's autonomous. Is that similar to that? Do you know about that project, Matt? Somewhat. Uh, yeah, that's the one I think where you, you people put generators in, and then and then you kind of the more you support them, the more right, they generate the, art. Yeah. So it's, I think I mean science. that's another incentive mechanism. Yeah. I that, think that, what, um, this one's definitely a lot more schemey right, 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 right. our, our time. <laughs> what's really neat about the pyramid scheme thing is it actually like if you make it a defined piece of art, like not it's not just a pyramid scheme, right? Like one, you're it's an artistic process, but uh, two, like there's an end in sight, right? right? Like there's the end of the artwork. Right. Pyramid schemes are supposed to just go forever. Yeah, and and rather than the rather than the last person kind of having nothing right, like right. Appear, they, they have everything they have the full piece i really quite like that so and and they and they go into that with their eyes open like yeah. they're like i'm buying the last yeah, one yeah that's now, great you right know? 
And, and like, what's yeah. more interesting is the person who buys the penultimate one because mm-hmm, the idea, mm-hmm. you would you would think that they're like, well, I'm buying this to perhaps double my money, or Basically. maybe maybe that'll never happen and I'll be stuck with the bill and and this like almost complete artwork. Right. That's but, funny. And yeah. <laughs> but anyway, it's still. I mean, just talking about it again now and now, it's like I kind of want to do it again. Right. Yeah. <laughs> this happens. We're definitely not doing that. Then I'm like, I love that. Let's do it. Right. But I love that. Yeah. There's sort of an interesting. Um, uh, sort of delineation here between like a lot of things get lumped in together like art on the blockchain right mm-hmm. and uh, but there's a whole bunch of different things mm-hmm. in here there's like mm-hmm. you know stuff that just gets registered on the blockchain and none, nothing, mm-hmm. none of this is like bad uh, judgment or yeah yeah for yeah, sure it's just like there's art that gets registered on the blockchain blockchain for rarity and for sale yeah but then there's this other category of stuff that uses these mechanisms right. like it's software and yep. there's a there's a user base and there's like these these interesting new kind of ways to for groups of people to interact and there's these and then you sort of bring some of these incentives forward like profit motive or ownership desire mm-hmm. or these things and some of them are unsavory in the art world mm-hmm. um, but you mm-hmm. kind of put them front and center like even just in some of the times we've discussed the crypto punks people were like well i like the i like the way they look i like the artwork but i don't like that there's a price beside them all the time like right. there's mm-hmm. all there's a value always associated with every every right. crypto punk and we're like well that was part of this though a little bit is like the the blockchain really merges these two things in a very yeah. kind right. of like uh, real way so that's part of what's new about it you know but um, so yeah, but I think that's always interesting to sort of put, uh, kind of like separate those things. Like what John was just discussing is like a mechanism that, you know, it's sure it's art, the whole thing, but it's using the blockchain in kind of a way to allow people to collaborate and mm-hmm. do different things. What are, what's y'all's perspective on that blending of like artists participating in the financial sort of market or that, like that crossover of the purity of art and the fact that these things are actually worth money? Thing, once again that's already happening in contemporary art so it's not such a big leap that they would mm-hmm. be participating in, in taking place you know there's yeah there's so much sort of business savvy and uh going on and and a lot of the famous artists right now you know banksy shredding his art right. at the at the auction he's getting involved in mm-hmm. in the mm-hmm. sale of his art and 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 having kind of some direct some some influence over it, and and there's just there's tons of other examples of that where the artists are very involved and and it's very much part of their purview now the mar- the art market, right. not just them uh, sitting in a studio you know in the ivory tower. So, um, so you know, and I think it's a natural natural sort of thing, and and I think though that this maybe this time might be looked back on as a time when when artists were really playing with the market itself, right. Uh, yeah, that might that might define sort of the, like this this era of of art that they were that they were you know that the mark like the the market itself came under under uh, under the microscope. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the sort of the second thing about the CryptoPunks that was um, a little bit new was it was you know there's a mechanism for digital rarity there, but there's also because there wasn't a standard then we wrote the whole um, mechanism for sale right. for for the aftermarket so. When we're talking to certain people, depending on what perspective they have in the art market, if they're an auction house or someone who's involved in the secondary market, they're like, wait a minute, like that thing sells itself, uh, you know, (laughs) continuously. There's like an auction ongoing at all times and there's no fees for those (laughs) taken on the sales. It's like, wait a minute. Um, (laughs) Right, right. Yes. So there's, (laughs) but then that's not, that's not very common for, for most other stuff that, you know, 721 doesn't usually have its own uh, marketplace attached to it. it has to plug into something else so there's still right. room there but yeah yeah um 
I want to switch gears. We're towards the end here, but I want to switch gears really quick and just um, get your guys' thoughts on on Chun. Really, on a high level, it's sort of toxic fandom is a, is a thing on the internet. And then I've noticed in the world of crypto stuff, it's like it's like jacked up like to a mm. million because you have these toxic fandoms behind you know Bitcoin maximalists and whatever uh, everything and once people get their money involved and they're like invested in that way, it gets crazy. And I've just been noticing like in the tune telegram, like they're really upset. They're really upset. Um, and from my perspective, what they're upset about is like, they thought somehow that like notes were going to be, make them millionaires or whatever, even though, from from my perspective, I watched you guys be very, very explicit and clear that like that's not what this is. You know, that's clearly what not what this is about. Um, and I'm curious. Yeah. I'm curious what that what that experience has been like for you guys. Yeah, and you're right that the you know the the sort of the fundamental theory behind Tune was it's like how would you normally go after like Spotify or SoundCloud or any of the sort of large existing. Uh, uh, sort of music marketplaces, they're, you know, they 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 have economy of scale, and but they're not being very good to the to artists, right. you know, and and so it's like, but how would you ever get people to care about a new one? And so the theory was like, well, if you build, what couldn't we build a community around a token, right. you know, and just say, let's start over from scratch, but there's a reason to participate early, right? Because you'll get more of this token right. early. And then if we can grow it and build it up and everyone has an incentive to sort of encourage that and to, to help it grow yeah. because everyone's sort of invested in this platform, then we can eventually get to something really big. And then, and then at that time, if it becomes really huge, then maybe that will pay off right. for the people who are in early. And so I think you're right that a lot of people have a much shorter view, especially because their experience in the last couple of years was the pump and dump. Was the right? ICO, Where It's yeah. like they, they wanted to see a return of, in their time and effort in on the scale of three to six months or something, you know? And uh, Right. So that's just, you know, and that's just not what what Tune was ever meant to be. You know, it's, it's like we're trying to build uh, a music platform here, you know? And, and to make it clear, like that was extremely explicit. And like every every bit of messaging, everything I said was you know was exactly stated everywhere where in every about or white paper or whatever whatever we you know whenever we talked about it we that's what we were saying right. and uh, and you know the and of course the way to do that is that everyone let's just focus on the music right, right. like you know like just just do that just everyone do your just thing. try to make good music yeah. try to listen to good music you know like that's that's all we need to do right. here you know and and uh, and. So anyway, yeah, so there has been that sort of, you know, that, that toxic element is, is no doubt uh, present all over all blockchain projects, you know, and, uh, and we, we're no exception. I guess partly because I'm, you know, eventually going to launch my thing and I'm like worried. There's like part of me that's like worried about that element. And I'm like, how do you, how do you, um, First of all, like, how does it feel? Is it is it just just? I wonder if it feels just like you know. I get lots of toxic hate on on my YouTube channel, you know, constantly. I wonder if it really? feels. Oh yeah. Who are these heartless people? Oh my god! I could just I could just like read you comments, right? I right. don't think I want to ruin my day. Wow. I mean, yeah, just all the time. But but it's like, um, 
is it is it just like that or is it is it is it more is it less like how does it ultimately feel to you guys is it something you can just kind of ignore no i mean not i think not if you're an empathetic person who's trying to like do a good job (laughs) right right um right and i think that there's sort of I mean, part of this is growing pains in the blockchain, right? Like we've yeah. been promised a lot and we're still really like, there's lots of rough edges here. Yeah. It's still really early days. Um, so, um, and lots of things became worth billions of dollars overnight. And so like, why isn't everything like right. that? And part of it also is just sort of a poor um, understanding of what it looks like to build something new. Like it doesn't happen overnight. Right. Um, but the the sort of what you read in the newspaper is like these abridged versions of like overnight successes, yeah. That took like ten years. Exactly. And Mark Zuckerberg, you know, used to put up a website and then there was like, you know, it went public <laughs> right. two days later, right. that kind of right. thing. Um, and then part of it is just the mechanism itself is weird. Like you basically start operating a public company right. in some ways right. almost immediately. Oh, so yeah. so it's hard to I feel like the whole um the whole area, like the whole industry needs to come to grips with all of this. Like, cause you have this, you have this sort of monetary incentive present really early on when it should, when it can be, it can be dangerous too, you Absolutely. know, it can be dangerous to the project itself. So even like, I mean, I think it's important to try to set expectations and just try to be honest about what you're trying to do. This and, is an uh, experiment. It's like, yeah. And what, you know, and lots like, and startups are tough, right? Like right. there's, you're going up against things that are, are really large, um, entities that are really difficult to, to compete with. So, so uh, I don't know. Yeah. But it doesn't, it's not, no, it doesn't feel great, but, um, at least you can try to just be as upfront as possible. Like we try to do that with all of our projects, which you guys like have been. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So we do that with, with CryptoPunks and autoglyphs too. It was right. like, it's all above board here, you know. Like everything's, yeah, everything's in on the blockchain, and right. everything's sort of like you. You can understand where we, you know, we kept some of the crypto bonds, we kept some of the autoglyphs. That's our, that's our participation in the project. That's how we see some upside if it does well. But we feel like that's a fair way to approach it. So, right, that, that kind of thing. Right. Um. Well, is there anything that you guys want to promote outside of autoglyphs? Um, we usually use this part of the podcast just as a little shout out. I think just the glyphs, right? Just the autoglyphs, yeah. which is yeah. just uh, Larva Labs yeah. slash autoglyphs. Is that what it is? Yeah, larvalabs.com slash autoglyphs. Yeah. And very good. Um, I want to shout out to the uh, glyph that looks like a bear. Oh, oh yeah, man. <laughs> so good. Bear glyph. Yeah, the bear yeah. glyph. Yeah. I also, you know what? A shout out to Mustache Glyph. That one's hey. pretty mustache yeah. glyph. Ooh, what number is that? Mustache Glyph. What is, is the mustache? Oh, glyph. I'll have Let to me... find that one. This is Jonathan editing myself in after the fact. Mustache Glyph is number three ninety one, and it's glorious. It's four. It's four mustaches, but Ooh, they're definitely yep. mustaches. So Very good. good. Yeah, yeah, my my uh, number ten looks like a bat, and I'm very proud of it. um i'm gonna call out this commenter uh my youtube commenter here just to give you a sense here okay (laughs) i'm bracing myself i'm going to skin you alive when the day of reckoning arrives you soy boy hipster jewish garbage all right i always three days ago i always thought of youtube as such a welcoming and supportive place i'm I'm shocked to (laughs) find out i'm shocked (laughs) to find out i am so appalled to find out that such things are happening in the comments oh this is important i know what we can do here we can pitch you on our our imaginary sign off for a blockchain related television show yes okay i'm down so the idea here is that it's some sort of game show host type person who doesn't actually get it 
And, and this is the sign off, like whatever your name is, and I'll see you on the blockchain. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. It sounds, it sounds almost like it makes sense, but it does not. That's fantastic. Okay. Oh, my God. All right. We'll do that. Right. We'll do that. Let's here. everyone do that um, as we sign off. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Matt, Jonathan, John, and Matt all on the blockchain. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for joining us today, and I'll see and you on the blockchain. And I'll see you on the blockchain. <laughs> and I'll see you on the blockchain. Looking forward to seeing you on the blockchain. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the end. That's perfect. Yeah, that's a great that's way it. to end. We did it. <laughs> oh, Digital scarcity, what does any of it mean? Gotta fix usability for NFTs to go mainstream. NFTs ain't finance, arguments ain't war. No stone bridges out of iron anymore. No stone bridges out of iron anymore. If there were two Mona Lisas, the same in every way But you know that one was real And you know that one is fake Which one would you say Has the authenticity Failure begins with having to explain Fungibility Are NFTs for their own sake Enough in the end Or do you need utility And speculation scarcity what does any of it mean gotta fix usability for nfts the bull mainstream nfts ain't finance arguments ain't war no stone bridges out of iron anymore no, no stone bridges out of iron anymore no 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 sorcery all magic is change you can inscribe a magical word onto the blockchain i could make money off this song every single time it's heard if it were an nft owned by an erc 20 bonded curve matt owns the podium he won't light it on fire though horse dung and ultima online was a currency don't you know scarcity what does any of it mean gotta fix usability for nfts to go mainstream nfts ain't finance arguments ain't Has a story. Noriel Rubini is wrong. William Chamberlain invented curved salad tongs. Don't just focus on scarcity for NFTs and games. Use your imagination, explore the whole range. And we've come so far with the internet, but all white papers got these two columns. DS. Oh, ooh, digital scarcity. What does any of it mean? Gotta fix usability for NFT.